Good morning. Um, the scripture today is 1 Samuel 9, 1, all the way through to 1 Samuel 10, 16. It's a bit of a long passage, so get cozy. There was a Benjamin, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekorath, son of Ephiah, of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Cilicia, but they did not find him. They went on into the district of Shalem, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. When they reached the district of Zaph, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come on, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there's a man of God. He's highly respected, and everyone, everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. Saul said to his servant, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered him again, Look, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I'll give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. Formerly in Israel, if someone went to inquire of God, they would say, Come, let's go to see the seer. But the prophet of today used to be called a seer. Good, Saul said to the servant, Come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. As they were going up to the hill, up the hill to the town, they met some young women coming up to draw water. And they asked him, Is the seer there? He is, they answered. He's ahead of you. Hurry now. He's just come to our town today, for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. As soon as you enter the town, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice afterward. Those who are invited will eat. Go up now. You should find him about this time. They went up to the town, and as they were entering, there was Samuel, coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me. And in the morning I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, don't worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Saul answered, But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? Is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? 
Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of the table at the head of those who were invited, about 30 in number. Samuel said to the cook, bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the thigh with what was on it and set it in front of Saul. Samuel said, here is what you have been, has been kept for you, eat, because it was set aside for you for this occasion from the time I said I have invited guests. And Saul dined with Samuel that day. After they came down from the high place to the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. They rose about daybreak, and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Get ready, and I'll send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. As they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us, and the servant did so. But you stay here for a while, so that I may give you a message from God. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelza on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He's asking, What shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbers, pipes, and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gil Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, Is Saul among, also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, Where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Samuel's uncle said, Tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, He assured us that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell his uncle that Samuel had said about the kingship. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Heather. That was indeed long reading. I wonder how many of you have come in this morning a little flustered because of uh, daylight savings time. If you recall, in the fall, I was also preaching on daylight savings time, except 
my darling husband went the wrong way and I lost several hours of sleep. Uh, he went the right way this time, so thank you, Melvin. Bring back, fall ahead. So before we start, let's just uh, have a time of prayer, because sometimes it's good to just settle our hearts in before we discuss the word of the Lord. Father, I thank you that your word is a sword. I thank you that your word is truth. And I thank you, Father, that your word brings us life. Today, Lord, we're going to discuss that your best is always better than anything we could think of. And so thank you, Father, for this example of how um, we can look at you and live our lives. So, Father, will your Holy Spirit be part of this place today. In your name we pray. Amen. I love going to Indigo. I don't know how many of you are Indigo fans, but I love Indigo. There's two places at Indigo I like to go. The first is a homeware section because it tells you all the latest and the greatest and the new stuff, which excites me. And the other place is the magazine section. I used to work for an architect, and so looking at the in new interior designs and the new finishes and the new millwork and all that kind of stuff, great excitement for me. These magazines and those things that you can buy, they are all telling us one thing. They are telling us this is the latest and the greatest, and this is possibly the best thing you could ever buy. So I have an example of some of the houses that I look at in those magazines. They're big houses. They have sleek designs. My house would fit into their garage, I think. Um, but there, there's a new thing that they started, which is called the outdoor living space. Because don't you know your deck is no longer good enough? You need an outdoor entertaining space. These magazines will also tell me what I need to look like. Apparently, I need to look like Miss America. I need to have very long legs and a great smile and uh, perfect posture. And gentlemen, in case you think you're not being targeted, you are. This is Chris Evans. Apparently, he is the sexiest man alive. Now, I prefer my silver fox Melvin, but <laughs> there's Chris Evans. The world tells us what is beautiful, what is best, and what we should desire. The problem with looking at the world is this. We end up losing ourselves in comparison. In a way, we become lost. We become lost in the feeling that this is what's good, this is what's best. And that's when we begin to compare ourselves to an ideal that is possibly less than ideal. And when does something actually that we seek as an ideal become bad for us? When do we go too far? Chasing after what the world says is best can lead us into some pretty desperate places. I hear it, yes. What the world says we desire can lead us so far away from what God desires that we lose our way. And that's what the theme of the sermon is today. God's best is better than our best. We lose our way unless we turn to a God who helps us find our way again. And that's what's happening in 1 Samuel 9 and 10. Now, last week, Pastor Chris covered the story of the Israelites wanting a king in the first place. And they wanted a king because the other nations had one. Do you hear the comparison? It's right there. 
It's like they'd been shopping at Indigo. And Indigo said, you need a king like everybody else has. And so they began asking for one. They knew that Prophet Samuel was getting old. They knew that the Prophet Samuel's sons were not following the Lord. And they thought, let's find a good solution. Let's find our own king. But they are lost because they're following after what the world is saying. It hadn't sunk in that God's best is better than our own. In 1 Samuel 8, 22, the Lord answered, listen to them, give them a king. God says the motives are wrong, but he brings Saul forward. Now you would think the Israelites would remember being in Egypt as slaves. You'd think they would remember the Red Sea. You'd think they would remember being brought to the promised land. You'd think they would remember all of the times God was faithful to his covenant with them. But they aren't. They aren't thinking about God. Instead, they're thinking about what they perceive is the best. A leader that's going to come in and make their problems go away. Samuel warned them, and he said a king has to be humble. He warned them. He said, a king is going to take your sons and put your sons in the army. He warned them, a king is going to take your daughters, have her work in the kitchen or be part of the harem. And he warned them that the king is going to take tribute from your livestock and from your land. These are all the warnings. But they were still looking for what they considered best because they weren't thinking that God's best is better than what our best is. Now, there's an interesting thing I noticed when I was uh, looking at the sermon and the, the names of these two gentlemen. Samuel means requested from God. Saul means he who was or requested. Now, notice the difference in those two names. The name of God is in Samuel's name, but it is absent in Saul's name. So that already shows us the difference between these two leaders. There is one who is going to follow after God, and there's one that his life is marked by the absence of God. Saul is lost. So in our verses that we're reading today, and I'm not going to read them all because Heather did. Verse 1, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zerur, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Well, first of all, we see that Saul's lineage is established. He is part of the Benjamite tribe, and his father Kish is a man of standing. Nice way of saying Kish had a lot of bucks. He is an influential man in all of the tribes and clans of Benjamin. And Saul, well, Saul's handsome, but he's a head taller than any other of the people around him. Another thing that was interesting to note is Saul is the only king in all of the Bible other than the heathen kings whose height was mentioned. Isn't that interesting? He was like all the other nations even down to how tall he was. Verse 3. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father Kish were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. When they reached the district of Zaph, 
Saul said to the servant who was with him, come, let's go back. My father's going to stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. Most leaders in the Bible are called shepherds. Now Saul is unflatteringly portrayed as incompetent because he can't even find a donkey, roughly two or three times the size of a sheep. First-time introductions to biblical characters are key, and that's because they don't really change over their lifetime. So this is an important thing to note about Saul. The manner in which they are introduced functions as a shorthand summary of their life. We are being told something very important about Saul. Verse 6, the servant replied, Look, in this town there is a man of God. He's highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. And Saul says to his servant, If we go, what are we going to bring him? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? Saul is pretty done looking for those ridiculous donkeys. He cannot find them. And he's ready to give up until his servant draws his attention to the fact that Samuel lives in that area. So that's, again, three things we note about Saul. He has a profound ignorance of Samuel, and he's even close to where Samuel resides. Saul fails to seek divine help. His servant is the one that reminds him. And Saul assumes that favors can be bought. He should know better. A man of God would not demand tribute. Verse 14, they went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed this to Samuel. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is a man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. In verse 15 and 16, it's literally like Samuel's ears have been uncovered to the fact that God is sending a man from Benjamin. The Lord is willing to fulfill his promise to Israel for a new leader. But verse 17 holds a really carefully cloaked warning. The word govern in this case can also mean restrain, hold back, hinder, or even imprison. The core meaning in this case is restrain or constrict. The sentence implies that the Lord is going to use Saul's reign to punish the nation. So as we learn more about Saul when we study for Samuel, he is beginning to fulfill the verb govern, indeed, to restrain or to constrict. He is acting as a barrier between God and between the people of Israel. The theme of lost The theme of being lost when we don't follow God is beginning to show up really well here. Samuel has never been reminded that God's best is better than our own. But we are being reminded that even though Saul is in this position of authority of the nation of Israel, they are still going to remain God's treasure. Saul is merely a caretaker of the flock. Verse 16 or verse 19 I am the seer, Samuel replied. In other words, prophet. Those words are interchangeable. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me. 
And in the morning I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, don't worry about them, they've been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned if not to you and your whole family line? Saul answered, but I am not but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Samuel said to the cook, we are skipping ahead here. Samuel said to the cook, bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the thigh with what was on it and set it in front of Samuel, or Saul. Samuel said, here is what has been kept for you, eat, because it was set aside for you for this occasion from the time I said, I have invited guests. And Samuel died, dined with Samuel, ah, Saul, dined with Samuel that day. Now Saul is concerned about being coming from the tribe of Benjamin because they were one of the smallest tribes in the 12 tribes of Israel. And within that tribe, his clan is thought of as the least spiritual. Samuel doesn't say anything to these questions that Saul is asking him, but his response is very telling. Because during the meal, when he is given the leg, it's like being, being given the best portion of meat. It's like the sirloin. The thigh was usually given to God's consecrated priest, and now it is being given to someone who will be anointed king. Saul is being shown honor by Samuel. And this is a part where I really love because Samuel is really plain nice here. He did not want a king. He had warned everyone. But now, following God's direction, he's honoring Samuel or Saul. Verse 7. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As I'm reading this, there's a lot of things that I began to note. This is the first anointing of a king. This is the first anointing of King Saul because he gets anointed again. And verses 1 to 8 are the longest recorded uh, words that Samuel speaks. And his purpose is to say five things that are foretold to him by God, and they validate Saul as a choice for king. Number one, the donkeys are safe. <laughs> On his journey, Saul is going to meet a man with connections to his family, and they confirm the donkeys have been returned. And that now the dad is concerned about Saul himself because where is he and what's taking so long? The next he's going to meet with three pilgrims on their way to Bethel to worship God. They have provisions for sacrificial observances. Three groats, three loaves of bread, and wine. Now two of those loaves are going to be given to Saul. The significance is that they are offering Saul the food that was meant to use by the one who was anointed priest. The next is that Saul will be changed. Verse 6 says, The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. God will be with you. That's an amazing prophecy. Next is he's going to meet a band of prophets. 
This will affirm Saul as the Lord's anointed because the spirit of the Lord is going to come on Saul and he will prophesy. The fifth thing is that he will wait for Samuel's arrival. Now there's an important role here and I didn't understand why, why Saul had to wait and it's this. There's an important role that obedience plays. Samuel has intimated to Saul the proper relationship that is supposed to exist between the king and the prophet. You have to wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So Saul, the king, is going to be promised God's power, but he is to submit to Samuel, the prophet, who brings God's word. God's spirit gives power, but that power is to be exercised in obedience to God's word. And Samuel was to share with Saul what God's word was. And then we have the end of our story. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, Where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Well, tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, he assured me that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Isn't that an interesting portion? (laughs) So God gives Saul a new heart. Saul is transformed into a great leader and a warrior. Because before that, Saul had been spiritually undistinguished. And now he prophesies. The people who hear Saul prophesying, however, are actually insulting him. Because what was he, a respectable citizen, doing with this rabble of prophesying, roaming madmen? Because generally, in order to be a prophet, you had to come from a line of prophets. And Saul did not. This is a time where the power of the Spirit was overflowing Saul in a powerful, if temporary, way. And even though those donkeys have been returned, Saul's kingship is still a secret. So what is the warning that we are supposed to heed in this story? Well, it's definitely a character warning. Remain humble because God will exalt the humble, but he will oppose the proud. We also know that God is going to raise up a messianic king, someone better than Saul, someone better than what the other nations have been clamoring for. Because God's best is better than our own. I'd like to call up the the band while I wrap up. The story of the anointing of Saul the king points us towards God's faithful covenant with his people. 
the Israelites were not faithful on their side of the covenant. And yet God is basically humoring them with a king and making provision for the king that is coming, the Messiah that has been foretold in the Old Testament. The ways that God showed favor to Saul are the same kind of ways that he shows favor to the coming King Jesus. He confirms his choice supernaturally with many signs. He anoints him with the Holy Spirit. And he confirms his choice through the prophets. Saul does nothing to merit God's favor. Yet God providentially upholds and rules the life of Saul. So here's the good news for us. God's hand, his sovereign hand, is not limited to those who meet certain requirements. God's grace invites all of us, regardless of where we're at, or where we've been, or what we've done, regardless of what we've been searching. Because even if we don't know it yet, God's hand is guiding and directing our steps. There were no requirements that Saul could fulfill before he was anointed. He seemed actually to be walking aimlessly through life, not even attentive enough to know what was going on in his own land or the fact that Samuel was honored by God and that the people should be listening to him. So do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel kind of lost in some of the choices you've made? It can be a simple, something as simple as deciding to not study for a test if you're in school. It can be wasting financial resources when you know better. It can be wasting your own potential because the effort doesn't seem to be worth it. Are you putting your best? Are you putting the best that God's taught you into everything you do? Or are you using God like a cosmic slot machine or some hellfire insurance. King Saul's reign led to the reign of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins and restored the covenant that God made with Adam. He made everything right so we could live in communion with him. And I sometimes wonder what our lives would be like if every day before we started the day, we remembered that sacrifice on our behalf. If we weren't like the Israelites who forgot everything God did, but if instead we remembered every day and lived our day on that remembrance, would our choices be different? Would we speak differently or study differently? Would we treat others differently? Would we raise our kids differently? I have a, a quote from Dale Ralph Davis. God's work is often concealed he is working for the deliverance of his people, but we do not see it. He works secretly. We can clearly see surface matters like lost donkeys, and perhaps that is all we discern. Yahweh often maintains his kingdom in an undercover way, surreptitiously. And his true servants will always find the most bracing encouragement in that. God gets a lost donkey's home. I sometimes wonder if we are the donkeys. God satisfies the Israelites with their ill-conceived request for a king. He sees beyond Saul's character flaws, and he maintains his kingdom, he maintains his covenant, and he is faithful to Israel. 
God gets us home when we're lost. He reminds us that our job is to humbly worship him. And he sent his son on earth to set things right between us and between him. The book of Revelations, we get to see beyond the story of Saul and see the end of the story of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. We're reminded that God's best is better than our own. And as completely whole and recreated individuals, we will be with the choirs of saints saying these words. And we sing the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb, Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. God reveals his kingdom when he brings a lost home. But that's here on earth. And oh, how wonderful when he brings us to our heavenly home. The best is not found in huge houses or looking perfect or having the best wealth portfolio, but rather this. The best is found in humbly seeking God and seeking ways to serve those around us because God's best is better than our own. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, that you care about the small details, like lost animals. And you care about the big details, which is our salvation. Thank you, Father, that you sent your son to earth as a true king. And that through that reign and rule, we are restored to you. Thank you that you find us, Father, when we are lost. Thank you for your grace and mercy. In your name we pray. Amen.